0: Today's episode is brought to you by WHOOP, the world's most powerful, wearable, health and fitness coach.
1: Throughout the Giro Italia, WHOOP is partnering with the EF Education First Easy Post Pro Cycling Team and VeloN to give cycling fans a behind-the-scenes look of what riders' life heart rates are during the race and everything off the bike, including what
0: recovery and sleep data look like over the course of a grand tour. WHOOP isn't just for professionals though. Whether you're an avid cyclist or just getting started, WHOOP is there to help you understand your body better. It's not just another fitness tracker. It measures loads of metrics and vital signs, including heart rate variability, resting heart rate, daily activity, and a full breakdown of your sleep. Whoop takes all that data and provides you with personalized
1: recommendations and feedback, so that you can accomplish your own goals from being more active to sleeping better. Know
0: when you should go big and when you should go for light spin with Whoop. And from my personal experience, the sleep tracker function for me is fantastic. I mean, when you're sleeping, you're sleeping. You don't really know what's going on but in the morning when you can go back and look at how much REM sleep how much deep sleep how much time you spent awake and then get an overall recovery score from that it can definitely set you on the right path during the day
1: and they just released their all new 4.0 it's even smaller and smarter designed with biometric tracking including skin
0: temperature blood oxygen and more So go to whoop.com, that's w-h-o-o-p.com, and enter the code BOBBY, B-O-B-B-Y, all uppercase, at checkout to save 15% today.
2: But then you sort of just tell yourself to suck it up, princess. Um, Get on with it.
0: Yep, that's right, folks. Today we have two-time World Time Trial champion, stage winner in all three Grand Tours, and one of the strongest riders in the Peloton over the last decade, Rowan Dennis, joining us today on another great episode of Bobby and Jens. coming in hot from the tour of romandy this past week we want to ex- extend a very special welcome to rowan dennis from the mighty jumbo visma team rowan how you going man
2: uh you should have said nuclear uh that was a bit of a bomb i set off on top of, on that hill uh but i'm good uh i'm good it was uh uh it was a better week than i expected um uh it's it it started not as well as I wanted to, but then everything snowballed from there. And yeah, it was bloody, came down to the last stage and Jesus, it was, uh, ah, mate, I've never finished a stage and not been able to pedal before uh, after the the finish line. So uh, that's a first for me.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've never had a guest on basically the day after they just finished a stage race. So like, let's go back a little bit. I mean, you said, you know, you're a time trial specialist, a prologue specialist, and, and you didn't win the, the prologue. But then the second day, um, you launched one of the, the best attacks I, I've seen in a while. And, you know, I like numbers, I think of things in data, and I, I saw the attack and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is going to be like not one minute. This is going to be more like 90 seconds, maybe one minute 45. And uh. when you launched, like wound that thing up from Texas, I'm thinking, gosh, I wonder what how many watts is he doing right now? And you got that gap and I'm thinking, gosh, you know, 800, 850. And then all of a sudden, like with 30 seconds to go, I'm like. Uh oh, he, he he's bleeding watts here. He's bleeding watts here, and man, that Dylan Toons guy just got you right at the line. But you know trying to win the prologue and then backing it up with that sort of attack on the second stage, right then and there, I I started texting with Christian Vanneveld and I said, Row- is Rowan here to win this race? Like the overall? Or he's like, Yeah, I think he is. And then Day after day, you were just ticking ticking things off the list. I mean, you were obviously controlling it. You had the jersey all the way from uh, the second stage to the final time trial. But you know, let's let's talk about the time trial a little bit later. But talk me through that hard fourth stage, which was obviously very mountainous. You, you're in the leader's jersey. Your team is, according to your director, demoralizing the the peloton. What does it take knowing that you have a time trial the next day to put everything on the line on on stage four and like what what did happen how did the legs feel um talk us a little bit through that 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 stage before the 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 final time trial
2: uh well there's a few times obviously as you'd know you start thinking about the next stage and that's probably the worst thing you can do so uh I tried not to think about what was going to happen the next day. Uh, just think about what I have to do that day. Uh, honestly, I wasn't, I was feeling good, but not, not exceptional. Um, and there was, there was a slight battle in in my head that uh, I was having that my teammates are doing such a good job that I'd be a real dick if I didn't try um, today. So uh <laughs> It was uh, it was one of those. I've got to I've got to go a little bit deeper today because of the effort they've done to make sure that I can try hold this jersey until the end of this whole entire race, um, which was I think twenty twenty hindsight uh, detrimental for that final final uphill TT, um, but it uh, it gave me a lot of confidence, but. Also, again, it took me to a limit, uh, in the last four or five K where I was just cramping. Um, I, I didn't look like it. I thought, ah, look, just stay second wheel on Stevie. This is, um, actually set was in front of me before that. And I was a little bit on edge, um, over some of those little rises in the last four K. And then I'm like, ah, this is really not feeling good. Uh, The last five hundred meters, as everyone saw, I lost a bit of, bit of a a gap, and there was a one second gap, and I got three seconds on the line or something. Um, That was basically due to the fact that I couldn't go any harder. Um, I was in the podium area after that, and if I moved or used my legs, they just uh, my quads and hamstrings, both legs would. cramp up fully and just hold for a good 30 seconds. So, uh, like I said, twenty twenty hindsight probably ruined my Sunday, but um, also was something that I couldn't back out of after all the hard work the team did for me that day. So I would have lost a jersey either way. So that
1: leads me to a double question. Uh, First question, do you believe with a little bit easier stage you would have been fresh enough to defend that jersey in the coming time trial the next day. And second question, would you prefer rather to win the overall or win the last TT?
2: Uh, Win the overall, I'll start with that one. Uh, I think I would have probably, even if it was an easier stage, probably at best got a top five overall. Um, The ideal situation was the TT wasn't hilly. (laughs) Uh, or it was at worst um, like last year's TT and I could have at least muscled my way through and it was more of a lumpy time trial last year so um, would have been more of my uh, favour when it came to uh, the specialty in general it isn't what it is so um, there's no point thinking of best case scenario uh, because it's just not what
0: happened but like to, to our listeners, I mean, I, first of all, I commend the heck out of you for going deep because you never know what's going to happen. You never know how you're going to recover. You've got to defend yeah. that jersey. You've got to keep the, the morale high and, you know, cramping for, for 30 seconds. You know, hopefully you're going to recover from that. But let's for, for our listeners and, and Jens and I, because it's been a while since we felt like that, you know, you're, you've had the lead since the second, second day in the tour or a uh, tour of yeah. romandy and what wh- a lot of people don't realize is you have so many more obligations being the leader you know you have to go to the podium you have to go to the press conference you have to go to the controls you're always kind of late back to the hotel um what what if you can share it like what was your like recovery protocol or what was you in your in your mind to get your body right to recover from from the cramping through that evening and then maybe even into the next day. Um, something tells me you're you're quite a prepared rider, especially on on time trial days. And I always say that recovery starts the moment after you finish the um, cross the finish line the day before. So, like, talk us a little bit through that that whole process. From finishing three seconds down, defending the jersey, cramping until when you started the next day. Like, like what's going through your head, and and what is your like recovery protocol in terms of nutrition, in terms of sleep, in terms of going out and looking at the course. Um, I'm sure there there's a, a myriad of things that you had to think about, but I'm I'm curious to hear how that day went in between that final um mountain stage and then the morning uh you know the next day for the time trial
2: yeah so it's like you can get really specific but i think the best thing is just to keep it simple um whatever your body's telling you you need to do so uh basically i i was dehydrated uh i had drunk normally what would have been enough but obviously it was such a hard stage that uh, in the doping control, they they do test your hydration level. Obviously, there's a limit. Um, if you're too hydrated, then it's a void test. You have to re- redo it until you're not too hydrated, which is pretty impossible to do. But I was on the on the far end of the dehydration, so I knew that as well. So it was about trying to get more uh, hydrated. Um, uh, getting the, the carbs back in, obviously the recovery meals, we we try not to just slam it in because your body can only actually absorb a cert, certain amount each hour. Uh, so it's about trickle feeding it over a longer period. And then once I'm back to the hotel, it's same as every other day. You're trying to get to the osteo uh, either before or after your massage, um, have dinner and, basically whatever is hurting, try to, um, fix it before you sleep, um, which isn't always possible. Uh, so you just, in a way you, you end up, I don't know if you guys remember, you just sort of in a state of hope, (laughs) Yeah, you're laying there, you're you're sort of your quads are still locking up a bit, and you just put your thumb in, you're like, maybe if I can just give it a bit more of a working, then maybe tomorrow I'll wake up and it won't be so stiff and uh just maybe I should just sleep. Um then obviously the next day is a sore business again. You wake up, you're like, I'm tired like always, but I can't I can't think about it too much and do your protocols of uh, morning warm-ups, uh, uh, the, the recon. Um, I actually had my head right. Well, I reckon, I don't think I've had my head so far up my ass before a TT yesterday. Um, in my whole entire career, I completely forgot my second Garmin on my road bike. So I rode that whole hill without a power meter, which is, not super smart when you when you when you're buckled, um, but you sort of just had to. I just put my head down and just go, okay by feel. Back to the old days, um, back to the junior days, and whatever happens, happens.
1: And um, the day after that super hard stage, your massage did you have a, like a little bit a lighter massage because you do not want to put more pressure and damage on the already sore muscle tissue, right? Do you had a different massage or just the usual massage? And um, when I was still racing, we would have within the first 20 minutes after the stage, we would have uh, two bottles, one with a recovery protein shake and one we had just tons of minerals and vitamins mixed in. So it was just two bottles, about a liter of liquid in total. Are uh, you guys still do it these days? So that would be my next two questions. Perfect.
2: Yeah. Pretty, pretty similar. Um, with the recovery stuff, we get in the uh, more of the fluids, uh, like a juice of some sort, has a bit of carbs and, and obviously water, and then we get the recovery protein in after that. Um, uh, then then you, you just drink water or, or sugary, sugary carb water or hydro, hydro stuff um, with your food. Uh, it hasn't changed a whole lot. I think it's just the um, the quality of food that we actually get given after. It's not just rice and uh, <laughs> rice and sauce. <laughs> um, uh, so I think the specific meals and sizes are already uh, made to our what we need, uh, to our body weight, what they estimated the race to be calorie wise and to refuel. And There's always more if if you do need more but um everything's very uh, exact almost to the gram um these days uh with massage i just leave it up to the masseuse okay you know what whatever you feel my body needs you do um obviously if it hurts it hurts uh but if if he really feels like there's um or she sorry uh, feels like there's something that needs extra work or doesn't need much work, then they do it or or don't work on it much at all. They're the they're the professionals in that field.
0: Yeah, it's pretty amazing. I mean, you guys have a, a great setup there at Jubilismo with uh, nutrition and and everything down to the absolute gram. I just remember when I was buckled, um, I would always search out like pickles, olives, anything that had like extra (laughs) salt in it. And I remember, you know, we'd get our little sandwich or whatever it was, and it was always pretty boring. But on those days where I was just buckled, I would go into the, 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 the soigneur's van or bus and open up the fridge and pull out all the pickles and, and, you know, olives and anything that had salt in it. And I remember I got busted by Frankie Schleck one day. This was like after the Tour de Swiss. I'm in there just stacking all these pickles onto my sandwich, and he looks at me and goes, you're buckled, aren't you? And I'm like, oh, dude, big time. He goes, I can always tell because I, I've always noticed what you do when you're when you're like really, really tired, and it's always pickles. So I don't know if, if that has anything uh, to do with it, but mentally I just needed some, some more salt. Um, but yeah, let's talk a little bit more about like the time trial, like this was a special time trial, right? Like as soon as we saw the the parkour on the website, I was like, oh man. And George and Christian and I were talking about it. Like, you know, would you do a bike change? Would you just go one or the other? But you decided to do a bike change and you had a, a pretty good bike change. But the first thing that we noticed was that you didn't have a head unit on, yep. uh, a power meter. So, you know, the whole thing was like, man, I cannot wait to ask, Rowan, if he rode to power, and if so, what was that power? But now we know that you kind of had to do it by sensations. Um, But you said you felt empty on the second half of that climb. But seeing you fight all the way to the finish, and I'm sure you were getting time checks, and I'm sure, you know, they weren't the most positive time checks that you want to hear when you're going for the GC, the final GC in a time trial but like you fought all the way to the line. And like you said earlier, like you couldn't pedal your bike anymore. So when things go south, I mean, you're a time trial specialist, you're used to winning, you're used to doing negative splits and you start to get that bad information. Um, well, the bad reality that you're not going as good as you want to go. But that's where the, the mindset of a time trial, especially a, a specialist like yourself, really has to kick in what was some of the things that were going through your mind because you could have just pulled the pin and just kind of rode in you knew that you weren't going to win the gc anymore but like you fought man and i love seeing that but i'm really curious to hear what was that internal dialogue going on inside your head
2: there was a battle there was definitely a battle in my head uh there's always always that set that mindset of is it worth it um but then you sort of just tell yourself to suck it up, princess. Um, get on with it. <laughs> um, uh, and then you sort of what? And obviously, it doesn't just happen once. It yeah, over and over and over. Um, and the the radio, they were giving me positive feedback as much as possible. Uh, they were trying to break the the climb down a little bit more instead of just saying, "Okay, you've got eight k to go." Um, that's 20 minutes uh it was more of a get to that next corner chase the bike uh it's flatter in 600 meters it's uh it's going to be steep for the next k um then it flattens out again so it's really about not thinking about the big picture um thinking about just small steps and then i just do this thing where i i count pedal strokes and hopefully it distracts me enough that it gets me through a minute or even 10 seconds and that's a minute or 10 seconds I don't actually have to think about uh, or it goes by a little bit quicker. So in the end, you th- there's a lot that goes on through your head um, and you think, wouldn't it just be easier if you just switched off? But at that point, there's, I don't think you can. Uh, if you do, then you're a very special person. Very special person.
1: Well, I think once a wise man said, uh, "Be gracious in victory, stand tall in defeat." So sometimes you just gotta gotta take it on the chin, like a chamgo. It wasn't my day, and I just took right. it all the away. Um, one more question to time trialing. I took it on the chin. A <laughs> yes.
2: <though you> <laughs>
1: um, normal time trial. You follow speed. You focus on power output or you focus on, on heart rate or just by feel or all of it together. And how much time do you have to look at the head unit and calculate your power output and all that uh, together?
2: Uh, it's all for me, it's all power and time. Um, so more or less, I, I know what's like a power range I have to hold for each section of, of that TT. Uh, and that's, that's, like I said, just breaking it down instead of thinking, okay, I have to hold, I have to hold 440 Watts for this 20 minutes. Um, so I, I counted downhills. It's going to be in the 300s, depending on what the speed is, um, or not at all. Uh, if it's uphill, uh, for one minute, it could probably be in the 500s or, or if it's less than that, you could probably go higher, 500s. Uh, if it's two, three, five minutes and you have to start bringing it back to your threshold or just above, um, so it's really about just trying to figure out where the slowest points are and what the limit is for that amount of time that you're going to be in that, in that period and then get back to speed, um, as quick as possible. It's, um, a lot of trial and error and a lot of times of doing too much and finding your limit and then trying to break that limit the next time and blowing up again and again and again until one day you have a winning streak. And then one day you slowly stop having that winning streak. Um, and you're getting older again,
0: man, you you guys definitely have it a little bit more, you know, difficult than we had because sure we had power meters, but most of the time we had power meters on our training bikes. Uh, if you're lucky enough to have one on your race time trial bike, you rarely looked at it. It was more for analysis afterwards, but yeah, man, I always tell people like, listen, if you overcook it in a time trial, um, you're in trouble because it's not like you can recover in the middle of a time trial. So it's always gotta be that razor's edge, that low threshold, like to high threshold area. And if you do have those moments where you need to accelerate over a little schnick-schnock for 30 seconds or one minute, you better have that controlled. You know, it's not like you can go out and do your one-minute capacity up that and then still recover at your threshold, you know, trying to get back up to speed. Um, But you said something there about counting pedal strokes. And I, I kind of did that, but it was more counting uh, my, my breath. Like I would try to just yep. count one, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. But during part two of our conversation that we had with Fabian Consolera, who um, is, is definitely a time trial specialist like yourself, we were talking about his superstition around lucky number seven. Yep. And <laughs> he actually mentioned that, he mentioned you by name and said that you were crazy about numbers and that you had to take a certain amount of pedal strokes every time that you went over a bridge. Uh, a, is that true? And B, like, tell us a little bit about that superstition and maybe some other things since you you love numbers so much.
2: Uh, partly true. Um, I'll do it on anything, uh, not just bridges. There's white lines, there's, uh, there's shadows, there's wet parts of the road, there's uh, The, um, uh, the driveways, the parts between the driveways, the, uh, fences, the different colors of the fencing, um, (laughs) everything. Uh, and it's usually, it has to be a multiple of five or it doesn't have to be. There are some exceptions to the rules. And, uh, so 23 is okay. Uh, 14 is okay. 16 is okay. 19, I, uh, 41, 46, because 4 plus 6 is 10. 4 plus 1 is 5. Uh, st- stuff like that. So um, uh, that's what I was talking about with with counting my pedal strokes. It sort of distracts me. Um, so up the climb, I was counting on the white lines, and obviously it was broken. So I'd get between one or two pedal strokes on each white line. But then... I'd change it up and go on to a new and old tarmac as well. Um, And if I got eight on one bit of new tarmac, I'd try to get seven on the next bit to get 15. Um, But yeah, things like that. I'll do it for, I will do it for a whole TT and even five, six hour training rides, I'll do it for pretty well the whole ride. Um, It's not a problem. If I don't have it, uh, bang on a multiple of five or something that I can make into a five. Uh, but it's just a, something I prefer to have.
1: But um, that sounds like it makes you incredibly <laughs> busy when you're out
2: there.
1: <laughs> and when you're in a the race, there's 150, or 180 guys <laughs> trying to beat you. And you got to look, What is this? what are these spectators doing? The helicopter is on top of you. People yelling and shouting in races are you still able to be on top and control and count pedal strokes because man i wouldn't have like one little bit of brain capacity left for that i was just like okay what is this person doing what is this rider doing when can i attack or do the others gonna attack how, how do you balance all that in i think practice
0: <laughs>
1: hmm? I, I, yeah i guess for probably some years now
0: it's, but you're it, like rain man you're like, do you see these equations popping up in your, in your like no. you know, sunglasses and stuff and all these algorithms?
2: No. I definitely blame my brother. He ruined my life with numbers. I even do it with uh, walking around the house, um, uh, walking amount of steps uh, with bookshelves or, or, or does not matter if it's, if it's tiles. Um, don't get me started. Stairs, I count steps of every single set of stairs I do. Um, The cafe today has 21. I've never been up to the top before of that cafe, but it was 11 and 10. Um, (laughs) But uh, he said to me when I was younger, he said, um, the volume on the TV or radio has to be 5, 10, 15, 20. And um, I'm sure he was screwing with me. Uh, but since then it started and I was on a young so he said if it's too loud on 15 then too uh, too quiet on 10 then pick one and deal with it um, so yeah I, I still do it when I'm middle of the peloton and sometimes I have to snap out of it because I'm thinking shit this is dangerous stop looking around and counting pedal strokes with white lines when there's 150 guys around you you've got to start thinking about what's actually happening. Um, and probably reason why I like to ride the front. <laughs> so,
0: so you get yeah. a, a, a clear view of all those, uh, things that you get to calculate. But Yeah. Dang. I have a
2: clear, clear view of what I'm doing instead of worrying about who's next to me, who's breaking in front. I'm surprised don't crash more, um, touch wood. Uh, but yeah. Um, I think just over years and years of doing it it's just become second nature now
1: if you want to get more out of your free time sign up to outside plus for less than a dollar a week you can get six print and digital issues of peloton magazine exclusive membership content from velonews.com access all the premium content from the whole outside family including yoga journal Backpacker, Ski, Outside Magazine, and many others. And that's not all. There are discounts of the hottest gear and biggest events, access to Gaia, GPS, and trail forks, as well as virtual health and fitness courses. It's $350 of value in one $99 annual subscription. But if you head to valuenews.com forward slash outside plus, And enter BJPOD25, all one word, lowercase, at checkout. You'll receive our special 25% discount and make a good deal. Great. And
0: now, back to our chat with Rohan. Okay, so now that you've let us inside your head a little bit it's a special special place (laughs) it it sounds like it i I would like to uh you know hang out there a little bit more and get some more details but uh there's so many other questions i want to ask you you know being a time trial specialist in this day and age you know with wind tunnel testing with track testing with all these different technological advances out there from the bike, the wheels, the tires, the tire pressure, the skin suit, the helmet, the glasses, how high the socks have to be. I'm curious because you obviously pay attention to detail if you're counting all these numbers. On the priority list of things that you're testing, like when you move to a new team or when you get new equipment, how could you rank, let's say, the importance to you of, let's, let's cut it down between the bike, the wheels, the skin suit, or the helmet. Like, what are, like, when you get new equipment, you're like, I'm gonna dial this in first, and then this, and then this. I mean, in terms of gaining speed, gaining watts, you know, going faster, as you say, What are those important things? Because there's so many out there now that I think people are paying so much attention to all these little things. But there's got to be Rowan Dennis's top four or five prioritized things that you pay attention to for equipment.
2: The first one is none of them. None of them. None of them. Position. Your bike position. That is the, the first thing.
0: But that's why I didn't put that in there. Is because obviously bike position is huge, but it's very individual to that person. Yeah, you know the other things, the equipment things. That's stuff that everybody gets to decide, yep. right? So, you, Dave Zabriskie, Jonathan Vodders, you know all the best time trialists in the world. They have a little bit of a natural talent there because they can just bend in a different way. They can be more arrow. Um, yes, you know we we've seen that the position gets higher and higher, but because that's so individual, let's not focus on that. We'll we'll get you back for another yep. podcast talking about like <laughs> the in and outs, do's and don'ts of of positioning. But those things that are interchangeable that everybody yep. can use. What would you absolutely prioritize as? Hey, this makes a difference. This saves this many seconds. This saves this many watts.
2: I would I would say uh, let's work from uh, the least. And, and this is gonna be uh, controversial. No, um, this is the world according the, to Ron. That's all that is, matters. Uh, this is how I look at it as the least important thing is uh, probably uh, the frame is the least important. Um, the wheels and tires are next. Uh, then I would say um, helmet and skin suit. Are more or less, uh, one or two, um, are pretty important. And the reason I say that is, um, if you, if you isolate the bike by itself, um, which I've done with, uh, one of my previous teams, we got one of my old frames, uh, and put all the new equipment on it, um, from my then team, uh, We tested it, same position, everything, same helmet, skin suit. Everything was the same but the frame. There was no difference. Zero difference. Um, But skin suits and helmets made huge differences. And wheels made a pretty big difference depending on, uh, obviously, your angle and everything. So, um, But the skin suits and and helmets... um, were were from what they were telling me one of the most vital things and it's really what is interacting with the biggest part of the um, wind drag so whatever can reduce the drag on that large object is probably the best thing possible to work on
1: and would you then um rather <laughs> go on the track and do laps with a power meter to see the resistance, if you push more watts or less watts with different helmet, different skin suit, or you think it's the wind tunnel, the ultimate testing method, or it has to be a combination of it?
2: I think uh, for finer, finer details, you need to use the wind tunnel. Um, I think the best thing for position is on the track, Uh, because that's more of a natural, okay, what can you hold without crashing? Whereas on the, in the wind tunnel, you can, you can look at the ground and be super aero and no worries. And you get out in the road and you can do what uh, the Danish did in the, in the team's pursuit in, in the Olympics and run up the arse of the GV team. Um, so it's, uh, I think it's a bit of a combination. But when it comes to real finer details, use the wind tunnel. Um, but uh, don't take it as gospel until you trial it out on the road or on the track
0: yeah yeah i've been <clears throat> at many a, a wind tunnel session and um too many I'm our sure. boss guru <laughs> would put one of our star riders in a position and i'd just be sitting there shaking my head and going that's not gonna work i mean no. and then sure enough they get out there at 5k later they're sitting up they're stretching they can't do it and they change their position back yeah but, um, yeah, that's interesting. I, I, I have to agree with you there. I know that the, the position is individual. Um, and then I, I, would, I think I'd agree spot on with, with the priority list with, you know, that skin suit being, being so popular. I have um, a skin suit behind glass hanging in my office from the 2004 Olympics. And when I look at that flag that I wore – Compared to what you guys are wearing these days, which is basically, yeah. you know, a, a condom, you know, it's so tight fitting. I'm like, Oh my gosh, how many seconds did I leave out on the road by picking that skin suit? You know, probably oh. a <laughs> oh man, I tell you, I don't even <laughs> want to think. I don't even want to think. But, um, Okay, enough of the time trial stuff. I mean, I I love talking about that. I could talk about that all the time. But, you know, Rowan, you've impressed me over the last few years specifically with your ability to ride high tempo in the big mountains for your GC leader. Um, You know, obviously, you were successful in stage races in GC in the past. You won, um, I remember you won uh, Tour Down Under. You won... um, Alberta? The, the uh, US, US Pro Challenge, um, you know, podium in, in Torino and Tour de Suisse. So, you know, you know how to ride GC, but like seeing you ride on the front in the high mountains was, I'll be honest, like when you rode the Giro for, for Tao, I was just like, <clears throat> so since when can Ron do this sort of stuff? And then you repeat that and you're doing that basically now. Um, quite often for your your super team Jumbo Visma. But there has to be a mentality switch there from going, you know, Mr. Millimeter, thinking about every single watt and and and, and second in a time trial to doing what you do in the mountains. Is it similar? I mean, are you treating these <clears throat> mountains like a time trial? Are you counting those pedal strokes like you said? Or is it just, hey, man, I need to extend myself as much as I can until this point and then I swing off and then so-and-so takes over. But I mean, you just seem to be able to stay on the front and dial it up and then there's five or six guys left on your wheel. But you know, that's gotta be a real mental shift from being all about yourself to helping a teammate and, and drastically reducing the size of the Peloton when you're doing it.
2: Yeah, so the first time I probably realized that I could do it was actually a race that I won, was US Pro. Um, I, uh, I was riding for Brent Bookwalter the whole week and actually I was just riding the front on every climb in the final just saying, okay, I'll set a pace and, and basically there's going to be at best 10 guys left. Um, it might take 10, 20 minutes, but... Eventually, they're going to blow. I know they are. Um, And then, uh, obviously, I hadn't done it to the extent of the Giro uh, in many races. Um, The next time I did it was probably Tour de Suisse in 2017 with uh, Damiano Caruso. Um, And really, from that was a period of my my career where i was really really targeting tt so um, that was never really my job um to go out there and be the biggest workhorse uh late on in a race it was a okay rowan you're pretty strong let's get you on the front early um if we have to so then some of the other climbers will do the final stuff and and we know you can control the peloton early on and, and be sort of a semi-curie but not quite. I was never quite that good. Um, so that was always my role until the Giro in 2020. Um, and it just slowly formed into the fact that I was doing it later and later in stages throughout that Giro. At the start, I was terrible. Uh, I, was, I, I did joke on the, the morning of that stage in, of Stelvio, that I'd done two weeks of training and I've, uh, I should be good now. Um, but it was, <laughs> it was partly true. Uh, I, I did come in pretty underdone and I was doing minor jobs here and there and just sort of, uh, being important jobs, but, um, not just destroying myself for hours and hours, uh, so I could actually be better in the final week. Um, And going back to the US Pro Challenge is, that's where I found out I was actually not too bad at altitude. And as you know, Stelvio goes up to 2,700 meters. Um, So what you may have realized is I push quite a big gear sometimes. And at altitude, uh, your power does drop. Um, There's a few things that probably are going on there is, uh, I push a slightly bigger gear. So I'm more in control of my breathing and heart rate. Um, but also your power is coming down. So that, that tension on your muscles and the, and the blood flow in your muscles isn't as much. So you can push a bigger gear. And because my muscles are used to pushing between 16, 80 and not 90 or hundred plus, uh, they don't fatigue as quickly. Um, so I use that in my favor and more or less it was, I looked at it actually the other day and my max heart rate was 156 um, for that one hour up Stelvio. Uh, and I averaged one, 147 or 149 from memory it was. So.
0: <laughs> and do you remember the Watts that you, you were pushing for
2: that uh, hour? I was three, 396 from memory.
0: From the bottom to the top, so obviously altitude adjusted yep. it'd be even a little bit higher. Interesting. Yeah,
2: yeah, like, and at the top, I was—I don't want to slam Monteo, but he was telling me to slow down, and I was like, oh, "Come on, we gotta go a bit quicker." <laughs> <laughs> come on, mate, we gotta drop Wilco. We gotta drop Wilco. Um, but yeah, obviously, um, in short, altitude—I seem to be able to handle it better than most. Um, I think due to the fact of how I ride my bike, um, uh, I leave it up to more muscular than, uh, than aerobic, even though I have a good aerobic system. Um, I, uh, I lean on the the muscular side a little bit more and it's definitely helpful. I've given away my secret now
1: so um you Uh-oh. mentioned a uh, brand bookwalker that was the days when you wrote for bmc then you mentioned the Giro italia where yep. you wrote for tao queen and Heart with ineos grenadiers now with jumbo Wisma. these are three of the biggest teams in the last 10 years of professional cycling um what were the things you liked and you disliked the most in these three teams already all <sighs> the same did you work differently I mean, okay, I know we can talk five hours just about this one question, but maybe you find one or two things you said, that was really good in this team, that was not good in that team, and what are the differences between them? I mean, they all have been really successful. Well, also, they had a large budget, so that always helps. So, yeah, what were the similarities and the differences (laughs) between these three big teams?
2: Uh, BMC... um Great atmosphere, uh, great equipment. Uh, The staff members, as a whole team, it was really, really, really good. Um, It's hard to fault them. Uh, Some of the best years uh, professionally and having fun were at that team. Um, The one thing I think they lacked and they, they sort of didn't really take on board was, brought to their attention, obviously, the reason why I thought Sky back in the day was so good at the tour uh, and they, they came unstuck with this in 2014 was they went there with one leader. Uh, they were all in for one leader and if shit hit the fan like it did with Frumi in 2014 he crashed and broke his wrist from memory, um, that was just it. Uh, But what BMC did is they took two or three leaders that were either going for stages or the GC and the work was spread too thin. Um, So I think that was their downfall. Uh, 2015 was the closest we got to probably executing a uh, one-leader team and it was just unfortunate that TJ had... A really bad day on I think it was stage sixteen or seventeen, and um, and he just he just blew. So that's BMC uh, Ineos. I think uh, once again I had a lot of great times. Uh, I can't really fault them. Uh, in the end, I've spoken about it uh, since I moved to Yumbo. I think they got a little bit content with where they were at. Um, they were at the top of the, the sort of food chain for a good decade and they sort of got, got left behind what would seem all of a sudden, but I think it was a, a slow build from Yumbo and UAE. Obviously you have to have the riders as well to perform at the big races, but I think, um, It was all of a sudden 2020, 2021 at the Tour de France, it was like, oh shit, what are we missing here? Um, We've got all these great riders, but why can't we win? Um, And they weren't doing those one percenters or the half percenters of every single thing. Um, I think their training wasn't up to uh, maybe the the latest, latest, latest standard. obviously you can't fault them fully because they were still getting podium in the Tour de France. Uh, we won the Giro, uh, nearly won the Vuelta over Roglic with Caraparts as well. Um, won the Olympics, uh, with Caraparts. So they weren't absolutely terrible. They were just lacking that top end, um, with, uh, what they had for what I said, the, the best part of a decade. Um, where everyone was chasing them. Uh, and that's where I think YUMBO has taken over. Um, their organization, uh, their, their science and everything is, I've, I haven't been the team like this ever. And it's actually what I thought INEOS was going to be like, and it was more on par with what I felt BMC was. Um, uh, probably the downfall, of uh, Jumbo, but it's also a positive. Sometimes is that um, not everything is in English, but it's also a good excuse for me to switch off. <laughs> so I uh, sometimes, I'll, if I want to know, I would have to translate it um, in messages in WhatsApp messages. But uh, most time, was like, okay, cool. It, it seems positive. If I need to know, then. I'll no, put it in english um uh, so I think that's probably the only thing, but I also can see i'm not I'm not uh, young and needing to know every single little detail of what's going on, and I'm not stressing so much about the the little little things and um yeah i take it as a, as a downtime okay cool, I don't need to know what that was um <laughs> And uh, it's nice also that they try to keep their culture instead of just being straight English. Um, it is a Dutch team. And I, I think that's actually quite nice that they're not just flicking that, that you could say heritage or culture from best part of probably 30 years the team's been around, is it? More or less from yeah. Rabo years? Yeah. yeah. Yep. So...
0: Yeah, and and you actually rode for the Robo Bank Continental team, so it's almost like coming home a little bit. As there there's some familiar faces wow. there still.
2: There are, but it was a completely different team. So that look, they're a Rabo Conti. Um, there, my current trainer actually is uh, was the head trainer at the Continental team. That was his second year in 2011. Um, macho and. Uh, there's a couple of directors, um, uh, a couple of writers that were also in the team with me in 2011. Uh, one, or the biggest one was Dumoulin. Uh, but yeah, it's in a way, uh, you could say it is a bit like coming home. Um, it's been, what, it was 10 years ago, 11 years ago that I was in, uh, in theory, in the same team. So, yeah, a bit of a circle, but it's a good one.
1: And um, now um, I got so many different questions um, just out of the blue here. Are you still secretly (laughs) looking at another shot at the hour record? Or you go, nah, I'm too old, I don't want it, or it's too fast, or i had it i'm all good with it you still every now and then you have an eye on it and is that ever a project in your mind
2: Uh, it is and uh in short uh i've thought about it multiple times and about 10 minutes later uh i think god that's dumb like why and you start thinking about all the things you have to do uh, when are you going to plan it into the season? Uh, how's the team going to be with it? Um, shit, it's going to have to be after the World Tour, but then is it going to be after Worlds? Uh, I can't do it after the Tour because then I'm not going to be racing for six, eight weeks. The team's not going to be happy. So I'm saying, ah, here's a plan.
1: <laughs> you prepare right now the World Championships time trial. You take that, and three days later you do two days of active recovery because you trained basically your guts (laughs) off for this time trial and the world's time trial. It's more or less roughly about an hour, a little bit more, a little bit less. So you're right there. You're two days behind the journey on the track and bang, there
2: you go. (laughs) Easy peasy. I could be a coach. I, I reckon, you know, I reckon you're a lot like a female who, uh, who says that, um, uh, giving birth is probably the most painful thing in the world, but then they want to do it again. Um, You've forgotten. You've forgotten how know, bad actually.
1: it was. I know. I I know. I know. <laughs> I, I keep telling people, if for like you know the last five laps, when I knew it, I had it. If my bike would have broken apart, I don't think I would ever try it again. Even though it was only one minute, two, three minutes no. left, I don't think I ever want to go back into that pain locker. Yeah.
2: Yeah. No, definitely not. I I think. Look, I. No offense to Campanacci. I think. That who still has it. I, I do believe I could beat it, but I, I just don't think I'm would want to put the commitment in to get to the point of, uh, doing it out of and, and it is a huge commitment. Um, so yeah, um, I reckon I'm going to skip it.
1: Fair enough, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> well, we'll
0: talk about Bobby, more, uh, um, Bobby
2: had his hands in his head, uh, his face in his hands there for a second. I'm t-
0: yeah, yeah, Jens. They, they they're going a heck of a lot faster than when I went and saw you yeah. on Grinchin, uh back in the day when you hit it. Um, it may take a little bit more specificity than that, but uh, I love your attitude there. But uh, you know, talking about, you know, here we are, May the second. Um, what's the plan? I mean, you just got done with a big block of racing. You guys had a very successful spring. Um, some ups and downs. You know, some sicknesses. I think every team was dealing with that but uh what what is Rowan Dennis gonna do between now and the in the tour de France because I assume you're you're, you're not doing the, the giro right you're focusing on the tour now
2: yeah I've got a lot of camps
0: uh, camps camps
2: camps camps Dauphine. um uh, I think I'll be home from now until the tour uh, more or less two weeks I'll be at home um two and a bit maybe uh, so. Uh, then obviously after that, it'll be, if I'm selected, come games. Um, so my wife will be a single parent for a couple of months. Uh, (laughs) yeah.
0: See, see, that's the thing is we used to look at our season by number of race days. And I remember there was years on credit, agricole and on team telecom where I was racing a hundred days a year, but there was next to no, if any training camp days. Now you guys are doing maybe not that many races, but when you factor in all the training camps, you're doing time, time and a half what, what we used to do back then. And, you know, all those days from away from home do, do add up, especially with a young child, a wife, a dog at home. Um, <laughs> the dog what especially. is the mentality of <laughs> the time, you know, of the time that you guys spend at altitude? Um, I assume that you're doing it up there in, in Tenerife. Is that, is that correct?
2: Uh, we, we spread it out, so I think just to keep it not so monotonous. Um, we go to all different places. There's Sierra Nevada we can go to, uh, Tignes, uh Tenerife. Um, and I, oh, I guess, I don't know if they've been to Lavinio or not. Um, but yeah, I think the whole, the whole idea is to not go to the same place more than once in the, a certain year. Um, and so you're not just like, oh, the same roads again and again and again, uh, keep it somewhat fresh. Uh, There is a little bit more to it, I think these days as well. So with camps, we have chefs, we have, uh, it's a full, it's a full setup. Um, when we're on camps, it's almost like we're at the race, but without the other 150, 180 guys there with us. So, um, it's. And even the team is allowing us if we want to, which I will, is uh, bring my family to the final camp before the tour. Um, which is nice because obviously that the big thing about going to tour is not being mentally fried. Uh, you can be as fit as you want, but if you're not you're not switched on mentally, I wouldn't start that race. Uh, I've done it before and it wasn't a smart move as we all i'm sure have heard in 2019 um and uh, it's it's one of those races where if you're not 100 prepared to do 21 days it can be a very uh, a very tough first week let alone second or third um so yeah they're really worrying about or not worrying they're very uh uh careful about our, our mental state going into the biggest race of the year talking
1: as well. about the biggest race of the year it starts with a 13 kilometer individual tt which would be right down your alley as a double world world champion are you looking at the prologue, or you go in there no my job is super domestic and um, i'm just cruising along the circuit or you go you know what Everybody has to finish this 13 kilometers. I'm going to go full gas. Who knows? Maybe I take that yellow jersey once again. Um, Or you go, nah, I'm just super domestic. I couldn't care less. Uh, Full titties, mate.
2: (laughs) All in. Good. All in. Um, I think, look, this won't be a stage I am 100% preparing for, like I'm sure Ghana, uh, a couple other guys who are going just purely four stages um, to try and get the yellow jersey. But I will be preparing to be able to do a 13 minute or 13 or 15 minutes, sorry, probably, more or less.
0: It's gonna go 13 um, minute, you're gonna win that.
2: or I'm gonna win that by a mile. <laughs> 60K uh, <an> hour. <laughs> Jesus, I've broken every record possible. Um, uh, 15 minute or so, I think, um, effort, I will be preparing to be able to do those sort of efforts. Um, but I will also be, uh, training specifically to be able to help in the high mountains. Uh, so it's, I, I, will have high hopes for myself on that stage. Uh, I'll go all in. Why not? Uh, 13 K will not destroy your body. Um, wow. and if you start on a high, it's probably, it's probably not a bad thing as well. A bit of a positive note to start off with, um, it's better than being behind the eight ball and going, oh, that was that was crap. I um, have to try and lift my game now. And it's not always easy to do that.
1: Well, I guess these uh, 50 minutes arm block will put all the muscles right back in place. And your body go, ah, I know what's coming.
2: It's got to be the
1: Tour the France coming up now. Oh, no, so exactly. it's a good way to start, my friend.
2: <laughs> well, it's a good wake-up or two right now. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, yep, we're here. We're, <laughs> we're doing this again, are we? Yep, cheers, perfect. Let's go.
0: Well, well, dang, talking about waking up, um, we need to let you get back to bed because uh, you've had a tough week. Uh, you're only home for a couple days. Thank you so much for, for sharing some of your free time with us. You know, good luck at those altitude camps. I remember, you know... Internet was like the the biggest issue, right? Like so many guys streaming, like you were always getting booted <laughs> off. So hopefully yeah. your your team not only brings the support squad, but like a nice internet server, so that you guys can all watch your your Netflix and uh, whatever else you young kids do these days. But, Roy, right, man, don't, it's... don't it's call it's me a, young. Oh, don't
2: call me young.
0: You're thirty. Um, you're not even thirty. You'll be thirty two at the end of the month. I mean, you're, you're right. just uh, just hitting your stride in the pro peloton these days. You know, you're right now,
2: the sport's changed. These young guys are beating us up. They're just destroying it, it, us. They're all bloody twenty to twenty-five and they just just it, ripped it our legs. Change, off.
1: Right? I mean uh, I mean I I'm another twenty <laughs> yeah. years older than you or whatever, eighteen years, whatever. Um but in my days, twenty-five people would just laugh at you, go, nah man, you got two more wait two more years to wait until you maybe can make the front group. But we had Thomas again telling us the same thing. Goes, it it's frustrating. They just kill us. They rip our legs off, and there's nothing I can do. My watts are still good, but there's nothing I can do.
2: Yeah, I'm, uh, my power's only gone up and up over the years, and I've I stayed the same position in the peloton. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, you know, double world champion, stage winner in all three Grand Tours. You know, you you uh, are better than Pac Phil, my friend continued success moving forward all the best with your summer plans and um yeah we got to get you back on and and talk you know time trial position and get in rowan dennis's head a a little bit deeper with all these little calculations and whatnot but until then my friend rest up recover well train well and be safe thanks guys really
2: appreciate uh, being on so it's been a pleasure well well
1: that's all our time for this week huge thanks to rohan dennis for being
0: our guest thanks everyone for listening please give us a five star review and don't forget to share us with your friends the show was a value news production in
1: association with shock giraffe the producer was mark payne and this episode was edited by tim mosser and if you have enjoyed this chat with TT legend Rohan Dennis, why not check our chats with Fabian Cancellara, Taylor Finney and David Miller.
0: Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Bobby and Jens and share your cycling stories with us.